You're listening to Only Here for the Wi-Fi. Yes, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to Only Here for the Wi-Fi. Today on the show, we have Wake Island, and you're listening to the sounds of Okie Doki. Imagine an American man sitting next to a Syrian woman in someone's home. He wants to begin a conversation, so he says, Yes, yes, we're just going to give a little bit of time for people to filter into the room. You know the deal. Wake Island is already in uh, in the chat. Very, very excited to have today's guest on. We've never met in real life. This is kind of the first time that we get to kind of hang out, you know, hear some of their news, some of the latest and greatest uh, on all things happening in Montreal and in their lives. So uh, without further ado, yes, <laughs> the sound card is working. I've managed to figure it out. You know how I do last minute preps, etc., etc. But um yeah, uh, I just wanted to throw up that I, I was going through my uh, going through my <laughs> my playlist and I found this song. Shout out to Okie Doki, an amazing, amazing artist and a very, very cool song. You should all check them out. Uh, but at first, let's get let's get some Wake Island up in this biatch. <laughs> How's it going, guys? How's it Putting going? Us in a good position. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said you're introducing us with the music. That felt a little awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It was a, it was a great throwback track, and uh, I thought you guys might appreciate it because it's it's got lots of controversial swear words in it. Yeah, I love it. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Not like the track that he. Oh no! With. Yeah, it was so good. So good. So what's the track ID? What's the track ID again? You know what? <laughs> this is actually a uh, a live performance from Danny's Bar back in the day. Um, I spoke to, it's by Okie Doki. If you've ever okay. heard of Okie Doki, no. uh, he's got a great record. I use his, like he has give, he has blessed me with, uh, his musical archive, I guess you could say to use for the show. So I don't get sued and, or have the episodes taken down. You know, it is a thing with podcasts and, and, you know, doing mm. things all, uh, all super pro, right? Speaking yep. of Super Pro, hey, we got Wake Island in the house. What's good? <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to do this, guys. Um, hi, how you. are you? How are you? Uh, weird. <laughs> it's a weird time. Uh, we're pretty good, considering. I think that's the expression of the year. All things considered, we're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's in good health. No family members fallen ill or anything like that no one has fallen to the rona not yet not yet fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah yeah we're taking our precautions and um yeah you know it's it's uh it's we we can't complain honestly we've had a, a good year i would say with regardless of everything that's going on around us yeah certainly well, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the vibe is in Montreal. I know how things are in Ottawa. A lot of my friends are kind of like, you know, even when we hang out, we hang out with masks on and, you know, they're ah, they're treating it pretty seriously. You know, it's not like in Beirut, for example. Oh, my God. Everyone's coming over for barbecue. Everyone's doing everything like, ah, they completely, ah, they, you know, and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. 
In Hong, it's a mix of the two. It's yeah. a mix of the two in Montreal. Uh, people are generally like pretty conscious about what's happening. Uh, but you know, I kid, the second the temperature goes up a little bit, people go to parks together. And of course, not wearing masks. Uh, in, in, out, I think the norm in Montreal is we don't wear masks outdoors too much. Uh, but indoors, everyone's wearing masks. Uh, now the big subject now is Christmas. Yeah, and that's a tricky one for us because it's the first time in my life, and maybe your life, maybe maybe not. No, no, no. It's the first time in my life I don't spend Christmas in Lebanon. Wow, so that's be a bit rough. Uh, our families, uh, all our families are there. That's why. Yeah, that's so, the complete opposite for me. All my family's here. They all left, you know, after the war and whatnot. They came to came to Ottawa, and uh, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try my chances over there because you know, why, why go with the, uh, with the flow, you know, always going against the, you know, uh, the advice of, uh, friends and fellow family, you know, but, uh, <laughs> that's sad that you're you going to be away. Here, right? I was born and raised here? here, man. I li- I'm Canadian th- through and through, man. You know, living my whole life here. Dunrobin is a, li- a bit <laughs> bit different than um, than out in Montreal, man. I live in the country, all right? They are farming. They are doing shit. I went to high school at Cow Pie High. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Cow Pie High. Yeah, that was like the nickname of our school. You know? Wow. So that's not the real name. No, it's it's called okay. West Carlton, but the thing was is that because on the way to school, it would smell like cow shit. So they were like, <laughs> they were like Die high on you. Oh yeah. I lived yeah. in the Balbec of Ottawa, of Canada. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to speak. The the Not Fertile the Crescent. Balbec of Montreal, the Balbec of Ottawa, that's something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well Ottawa's the Balbec of Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys in played way. any shows out in Ottawa? Have you guys been to Ottawa? The yeah. the, the splendid. A while ago, but we played. Yeah. Where did you guys play? I can't remember the names of the venues. We've played in Ottawa in another life. I in another say. life, we were in a rock band before, and we played Ottawa yeah. a few times. Last time was at a Zayfods. No, no, Is that the thing? Hey, no, no. Zayfods. Yeah, Zayfods. But that was like in. That like was years ago. Maybe 10 years ago. But yeah. something more recent is there's a venue that just closed that was very important for the indie scene. Uh, it's a cafe, I oh, think. Oh, the small cafe. Um, uh, wait a minute. It? Something jazzy. Avant-garde? Something bluesy. No. no. It's a tiny, tiny cafe. And then there's a there's a back room where the bands play and then they open it up. Sort of like a little room that's a bit wow. above of everything. Yeah, I've, like, I've been out of the scene for 15 for, years. I think it was called the Jazz Cafe or something like that. Well, there was Paradiso, there was Babylon, there was uh, Café de Cuff, okay? Oh, that's that's the one. That's the one, one. Café de Cuff. Yeah, 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 and funny enough, if you say de Cuff backwards, it's fucked. Fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Canadians, man, on on the cutting edge of of humor, Um, always. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's a, that was a great little spot. I loved, you know, watching shows there. And mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm still trying to get into the loop, man. I just legit came back to Ottawa in September. And I'm re-immersing myself, getting my ear to the ground, so to speak, to understand, like, what's what and who's who and where's where, you know. So, uh, yeah, Zaphod's was a very dear place to me. That's where I would go and dance my face off and... and um, Funny enough, Eugene, the owner of Zaphod's, randomly came to Beirut, and I was throwing a party 
in some place in Hamra, and I was like, you know, putting a poster up outside, and I was like, oh my god, it, you, <laughs> what are you doing here? You know, and he was like, who the fuck are you? You know, I was like, I, you don't know me, but I, I know you. In uh, small world, small world. Anyway, it's guys, weird. like things like this happen all the time. Yeah, you meet people on the streets in Beirut, and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? Canadians, Canadians uh, like, I mean. Lebanon is like a, a destination for many Canadians that even don't have any, you know, family or anything. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Definitely. Small world, man. Yeah. Six degrees of separation, AKA, you know, how everybody knows everybody somehow through the six degrees of separation. You ever hear about that? Yeah. You know, I was like, also talking about the, the, this phenomenon that we have as like the Lebanese diaspora. Yeah. Like everyone knows a Lebanese person in the world. <laughs> right. And we talk about Lebanon so much and we talk about it the good and bad, but people by the end of our friendship, they're like, okay, so I know so much about this place. I better go. And so many of our friends are just always like, okay, well, with everything you've told me, like, let's plan a trip, you know, like, and, and a lot of them end up actually doing it because Lebanon just enters their mind as one of the 10 foreign countries they know of. <laughs> Well, so that and also CNN made a big old thing that was like, if you want to party your face off, if you yeah. if you want to have a party, <laughs> if you want to have a good time, go to Beirut. You know, like that was that was the thing they had, like, you know, the, the best clubbing experience. That. And everyone was like, oh, very nice. We should go to the Lebanon and have a very happy time, <laughs> you know. All the Germans, I met, I don't know how many German roommates I had. Like, oh, I love this. This country is so nice. The techno is amazing. <laughs> I love the vine. You know? Well, that's kind that's CNN. Like the CNN thing is a summation <laughs> of all of like like say Israel's tourism strategy with people at this point. It's like, <laughs> let's let's act like we're this amazing party place. And everyone, a lot of people I talk to really view like vacation Israel as like the most fun thing you could ever do. Oh my god. And I'm like, Sure, I'll never I mean, know, but that's yes. the marketing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're only a couple of kilometers apart. You know, like I mean, aside from the obvious horrible history, you know, at the end of the day, man, the, the youth they still want to get down and party and all that shit. So, you know, if you can like yeah. mm, ignore all the apartheid and all the horrible shit that has been happening for ah uh, forever, you know, if if you can still go there and have a nice time uh, with a, a a clear conscience, you know. Um, question your values. That's all I can say. Well, yeah, <laughs> I can say about that. But anyway, so, like how you like how I took a fun conversation and yeah. moved it yeah. right into Israel. So Palestinians are dying right now, as we speak. You know, as we speak. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, to bring things back to fun and mm -hmm. uh, to bring things back to music and, and kick this interview into fucking full on, full on. Uh, you guys just released a, a a new video and a track about two weeks ago or so, right? Mm -hmm. um, Daya or or Lost. I'm yeah. pr probably pronouncing it incorrectly. Mind no, you, you. Got it. I got it. Yeah, Daya. yeah, but I don't even know how to translate it. I, we always Isn't ask. They always ask us, what, what does Daya mean? I'm, like, I'm lost. It's not lost. It's more like the way I explain it. Is if there was a word in English, it would be lostness. Aloof. Yeah, yeah, being completely being like being in a state of you have no fucking clue where to begin to make sense of anything really. 
that's the what feeling. a what a perfect like everything track is, name. Everything is a mess, and you're lost in it. Yeah. So I guess it's a bit on the nose, but I mean, let's unpack that a little bit more. <laughs> let's unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at what Harris is saying here. Phil is an expert of turning fun into something dark. Well, yeah, that's, that is my brand. That's very that's true. You like Radiohead? Shout out to Harris. <laughs> right. He's one, of the, he's one of the people who were just, before you joined Harris, we were talking about uh, Canadians and Americans who visited Lebanon and who partied and had a great time. Yeah, you should definitely come, Harris. Harris, is it? Well, he came. He played. Yeah. He played at Wicker Park. Oh, shit. Yeah. Shout we out to everyone at Wicker Park. And then we're like, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Wicker Park, yeah. <laughs> My God, that is... I got to turn down the horn on that. It's a little... Love the horn. It's a little Love bit abrasive. Horn. But I mean, you know, it's it's part of the, the charm. Yeah. So I'm assuming, like, you know, all the experiences of the current events and perhaps the most recent things happening in Lebanon had a big part to play into the most recent um, iterations of your of your catalog. Well, they actually had uh, no part to play, strangely, because the song was written a year before. But let's, who are we kidding? I mean, it's the same thing right. that's been happening for years. What happened uh, in the, with the revolution and the explosion is not like an event. It's a, it's a symptom and it's a reaction to it's a consequence. the things that we were already uh, thinking about and frustrated about for like years and years and years. So, of course, when we when it happened and we, we did a whole album about, about this and we're releasing it very, very slowly, like song by song. But when we listen to it now, I'm like, oh, it's as if we wrote it in the middle of the revolution or as if we wrote it the day after the explosion. So to me, uh, there's nothing new in 2019 and 2020 with Lebanon. It's just there are events that are just like popping up and sh just reminding us and exposing what's, what we all knew was there, what we all were already talking about it. History repeating itself, yeah. you know? This is yeah. the, the, the saddest part of it. And, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of history and and like you know making music, how did how did you guys meet? How did you guys get together? It was here in Montreal. Okay. Uh, it's many years ago. We're gonna say like maybe fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago. We met. Uh, we didn't know each other in Lebanon. We both grew up and we both uh, grew up in Lebanon in separate circles. Phil is like a couple of years older than me, so that plays plays a lot in school. Like, well, you know, you don't hang out with the older kids or whatever. No, you don't uh, hang out with the younger kids. Yeah. We, you Except know. for Phil. So we were, Phil we, Lemon we hanging out with the, the kids. <laughs> well, I wasn't hanging out with anyone. <laughs> so that's another yeah. story. Dude. So, but anyway, we, we came here uh, for, you know, we like so many young Lebanese and young Arabs just come to study. You know, we're at McGill. And... Uh, and then we met, I think, through, like, you know, there was a, a small community of us here, um, all living in the same place because our mamas and babas want us to stay warm in the winter, you, you mm. know? So we all end up clustering in the same fucking tower. Like, it's a tower. <laughs> it's like, it's magic. Like, for a parent, it's a gym because it's a big tower filled with other Lebanese people. Not just that, but there was enough to make a good, like, 30%. Yeah. And then the tower is linked to a to a mall so you don't need to leave the tower you can just go to the mall you have like your canadian tire your supermarket everything yeah. and oh, then wow. the subway 
yeah. is in there. Yeah. So you go to the metro, so you, and then you get to the university and take the underground from the metro to your class, and you never see the light of day. Because, you know, it's so cold that we're going to die here. That's kind of... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> basically are you guys uh, basically so we met we met under those circumstances and then uh and we started making music like maybe three years after we met uh not under this project like we were in a rock band first. intensive care uh, like yeah 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 which is like super prog rock very confused music but pretty awesome i mean we made one record that's pretty cool but it's like very prog rocky and that's those were the years where we went to Ottawa a lot and played like those venues, mm-hmm. Zayfods, ah. and I don't know what. Um, Johnny Brandas, that's another one. No, that's that's in. Uh, oh no, that's another place. That's, but there's another Zayfods. Zayfods had another venue right next yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was the Dominion Tavern, which is like it. a fucking punk rock place. No, no, like that's right next to Zayfods. Yeah, yeah. It's a there's, strip. They shared. Same parking. I think that was the same owner had two venues. There was like a uh, a really cool gay bar slash like they would do a lot of drag shows just just a couple of uh, places back uh, or like on the same block. I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the name of it. It has been almost twenty years uh, since mm-hmm. you know. But uh, there was the the dom there was the, there was the dom the Dominion Tavern. There was like a place called Lux and something else, but. No, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It'll come back to Zayfaz is what we remember. was amazing. Um, saw so many amazing shows there. And hopefully we'll be actually interviewing uh, the owner of the venue or the former owner of the venue on the show uh, later down the road. Um, so like prog rock, eh? Like what are we talking about? Are we talking dream theater prog rock? Are we talking porcupine mm, no, tree? Like, we're talking King Crimson. King Crimson rock. Genesis. Okay. And the thing is, we're we're talking those things, but honestly, when we were making that music, we had no fucking clue who those bands were even. Mm. Like, the reason the music was coming out in that way is because we were very young, we were extremely confused people, uh, like uh, dealing with a huge identity crisis that is arriving in a place and coming from Lebanon and separating from the family and everything and, and being like, what the fuck are we doing here? And then trying to make music with two other people. We were a band of four. Uh, a guy from Boston, his name is Derek, he's one of our really good friends, and Jonathan, uh, who's from Montreal. And so there was this like crazy, like awesome culture clash, but it's a clash nevertheless. So that kind of like, we learned a lot from those years. I remember writing the bios. It was like, and it was always about that. It's like that. It was so hard to write music together. The way we would write music was like we had to compromise for everybody's ideas to fit in the song because, you know, we have fragile egos and we're young and we're confused. Everyone's an artist. And so basically, like, what turns, like, every song turns into an album of its own, you know, like, okay, where's this section and then that section and then this bit and that bit. And it was really tiring. Now, when I listen to this music, I'm like, how the hell did we even perform it? Well, now you know how I felt. Because I was like the pop guy of the group. <laughs> right, and right, the right. other three were jazz. Like, he was in a jazz conservatory, learning jazz, obsessing about, like, jazz licks and Pat Metheny and all these jazz maestros and whatever. Jack and I was Pistorius. like, hey, I like Tori Amos and Radiohead. Can we huh? please, like... Uh, like make some music like that. And the, so my compromise was to introduce him to Radiohead because I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of like it's always jazzy rockiness yeah. in there. So maybe he'll like it. It's always <laughs> fucking Radiohead. And bassists were like studying jazz, you know? Sorry, what did you say? I'm saying it's always fucking Radiohead that like just completely 
you know, breaks the brain and you make that switch and you're like, you know, whether it's the kid a record or okay computer. And you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Everything. But I was a muse guy. I was, a, I was uh, a muse guy, but I couldn't get him to like it. So I'm like, okay, let's go. To, maybe Rage Ahead will work. The, the Absolution album was nice. I liked it. I liked Origin of Symmetry, the one before. That's yeah. the one that like really got to me. And then after anything <laughs> after Absolution, I was okay with it. And then I became ashamed of liking the band. Yeah, they <laughs> and became now too I listen mainstream. to it and I laugh. I'm like, every time there's a new music album, I'm like, yes. And I just go listen to it just because I want to make fun of how like <laughs> self-absorbed and crazy this band has become. Yeah. But didn't they do like that, the first ever stage that was comp- compromised of like a million drones and they had just like all these drones flying and they were like, we're going to st- perform on the drones and we will, you know, and like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I, I don't know, but I'm sure they did. They thought about it. Yeah. They, they couldn't get the uh, insurance to agree. But um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's interesting. But how did you guys like learn music? Like, I mean, were you, you said that you, you, like, when did you first start learning music? How old were you? And how did you get into that? Was it a family member, a friend? Like, how did, how did you pick up the guitar? Yeah. So for me, for me, I was, I picked up the guitar. I was 14 or 13, something around that. I was in Lebanon. Um, I always had an affinity to music. Like when I, when I grew up, I was born in Lebanon, raised in Lebanon. Then uh, when I was five, six, I came to Canada for a few years to escape the end of civil war. And then I went back to Lebanon. Uh, my siblings are much older than me. Mm. Um, and there was always a piano in the house, uh, which I remember when I moved back to Lebanon, I was like eight. I loved it. I'm like, oh my God, something that makes sound and music. And I would just go to it and play, but I never had any lessons or anything. Um, and then at 13... I picked up the guitar, 14, I was in school, and I thought it was really nice, it was fun, it's cool to play rock music with your friends, kind of thing. Um, and I was obsessed, I was like very in love with uh, who, someone who today is like one of my best friends ever, Yasmin, shout out to you if you're here, I'm not sure. Uh, but her dad was crazy into guitar, so maybe that played something in it, like I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna learn the guitar to like, you know, whatever. And I loved it. You know, I loved the instrument. I kind of played it. I played with people in school. And then I really dove deep into the jazz scene. In my last two years in Lebanon, I moved to Canada and I was 18. So when I was 17 and 18, there was a burgeoning jazz scene in Beirut. Uh, shout out to every single musician who's still out there killing it. I'm talking about Eddie Afif. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a uh, bass player and his brother, Roni Afif, a drummer. I think they moved to Dubai and I think they're still doing it. Um, shout out to Tariq Yamani, who's still playing. Uh, all those guys, like we were all kids back then and uh, we're talking like early 2000s, 2001, mm-hmm. two, uh, exploring the world of jazz in like the suburbs of Beirut, literally. Um, Blue Note Cafe. Yeah, Blue Note was a thing in Hamra. I don't know if you know You it. know, it's crazy. I, I mean, again, like, I mean, I, I appreciate jazz. Uh, I appreciate a lot of things, but for whatever reason, I never made it out to Blue Note. Not once. Yeah, it just wasn't well, in my. It it's, wasn't it's in a, my thing, you know. Yeah, it's. I, I like. I looking back, I'm like, why the hell was I into this stuff? It was like too old for me. But at the same time, there were some cool people going there. You know, uh, there was this. There was this two old American uh, jazz players, a drummer uh, who had. 
with like played he's recorded with Miles Davis and shit like that. You're talking he about was Jay? Uh, no, his name was was Steve. I I think uh, I can't remember now. It's always Steve. Um, he's like this black guy. <laughs> he used to wear this like huge ass like necklace, right kind on. of like a symbol around his his, his 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 neck. And this guy had like toured the world and played everywhere. And he just lived in Lebanon for some reason. And he taught me a lot. Um, and then when I came to Montreal, I kind of, as Phil said, I enrolled the conservatory right. um, of jazz and yeah, but I mean, it was really the, my last couple of years in Beirut, this is when I like got obsessed with this type of music and yeah, Blue Note had a lot to do with it. Um, uh, Steve and Jack, Jack was a double bass player. He had a lot to do with it too. Mm. They were very nice, very generous with kids who wanted to learn. And yeah, all those, all those musicians started Yemeni. Uh, Ronnie Afif, Elia Afif, uh, those guys um, are still again active and making amazing music. I think Tari is in New York. Yeah, I just saw Tari play in Beirut in what January? Yeah, for the Beirut and Beyond Festival. That was pretty cool. He was doing yeah. a collab with, with uh, Lilian. Lilian Shalala, yeah. yeah, but yeah. you should talk about how you got into it. I got into it the exact opposite way. I was like brought into it like a good kid in the Lebanese suburbs learning classical piano. And I was like, my teacher really couldn't take it. Like, I was just trying to show her how I could play like Ace of Bass songs on piano <laughs> and Disney soundtracks. And she was like, blasphemy! And <laughs> so I learned classical music, but I couldn't like bear it. Like, I didn't like to read notes. I didn't like classical. And so I was always like, I had the, a very good ear. So every time I heard a song, I would just go play it, which became kind of my trademark with my friends. And I play this, play that. And so it was always about like pop for me. Uh, but I have like, yeah, I have some classical training. But then, yeah, it was very, like it wasn't a band thing. I was alone playing piano, mm. my lessons. And when the piano moved to my bedroom, I started like just playing all these covers and movie soundtracks on piano and shit like that. And then when I moved to Canada, a friend randomly asked me if I wanted to join his band cover band and then we started playing muse covers exactly amazing and for and we did one show in our in our rehearsal space and he was there and at <laughs> the end of that show he's like do you want to jam one day and i'm like uh yeah and then that band ended and this one started. also shout out to fadi oh it's fadi, fadi Tabal, yeah who's uh who's like the literally uh the pillar of the lebanese indie, indie scene, scene. Yeah, you, you probably know Fadi, maybe? I mean, I, of course, I mean, I know, yeah. I know Fadi. You know who he yeah. is, right? So Fadi was here when we were starting off. Well, the anecdote is that Fadi was doing sound at that Muse cover show. Because uh. I, I knew him. I'm like, can you come just like do sound? And he was there. And then by the end of that show, Nadim, actually intensive care started technically as it was me, Nadim, and Fadi. And, yeah. oh, and wow. then we got a, yeah. then we got John. A drummer, yeah. Was Fadi on bass back then? then? He was um, playing guitar. He was playing. He was playing I, I was drumming. Yeah, yeah. you were drumming. Okay. Yeah. And, and Phil, uh, so you were playing, playing guitar until he left. Were you playing, Phil? Were you just singing, yeah. or were you playing piano? Phil was singing. I was singing and playing a, a Juno D uh, keyboard. Oh yeah, it's vintage now. I <laughs> have it. I still have it. Good for you, man. Hopefully yeah, that shit's Juno like Juno worth... D, not like not like the old school Juno, ah. like the digital Juno. Ah, yeah. less exciting. <laughs> well now but, apparently it's an exciting one now because 20 years later now it's like ooh vintage it's exactly. almost it's almost cool like in five years I'm gonna make some <laughs> it's almost cool oh yeah. my god yeah I don't know I I, you know from, in my younger years it's interesting um, 
covering music was like, that was how I cut my teeth, man. I got used to performing by, um, you know, taking part in the high school coffee house or whatever. And there was like an audience of 200 parents and kids and people. Right. So, you know, you kind of get used to every year in, in high school doing these like whatever coffee houses. And that's when I got addicted to performing, you know, it was like they had a proper mm-hmm. stage, you know, cause it's out in the country. Right. So they're like, they had some good country bands. They had some, you know, some people doing great theater work and I fell in love with uh, theater and performing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh... We, we had that, we had that in high school. Well, not oh, high school, man. but my, my school where I, where I went in Lebanon, um, we occasionally like were you know forming bands and playing events and stuff, and that was pretty awesome. Uh, I think I, I think I don't know. I saw Carl Wazin was here. Maybe I don't know if he's still here, Carl. But shout out to Carl because he was he was he is a sick drummer. And I remember when we were uh, uh, like in school together, like um, you know, for younger kids like me, you know, as I was saying earlier, when you're in in high school, like two three years make a huge difference. So you look up to people who are a couple of years older than you and you're like, holy shit, I want to play like this. And, yeah. Uh, so in my school, there was this culture of like joining bands, playing music. That was kind of a thing. Um, I don't know about your, your not, school probably. Definitely, <laughs> Still was at a Jesuit school. So it's, there was no culture of it. There was one band <laughs> in my school. I know some people were like in bands. Were they playing Jesus songs? No, know? no, no, no. There was, it was a lot of blues. Um, there was a band, uh, there was a blues band there was, I think, it was called Electric Ladyland after Jimi Hendrix, and it was oh. this guy Philippe Abirash. I don't know if you know him. Was he in school? But he was like he was one of the rebels of the school, and he would do like this, like kind of like end of year show type of thing within school boundaries. Like it was very like organized. Yeah. Uh, but my experience of live music when I was young was to play my piano recitals with the other students at like the assembly hall of AUB, oh which is like God. a big deal when I think of yeah. it. Yep. It's like this is like a hall, and I and we used to play there to like a full house. You made it. I have like it's like you made it as, a, like, <laughs> as an artist, the, the pinnacle of everything, you know. Yeah, man, what you I've know about never, life. Okay? I've never done bigger than that. Which that's actually an interesting question in itself. Do you guys have a like a, a, a particular favorite venue in Montreal or in Lebanon, or did you have like a place that you were like one day? We'll play this venue. Mm. In Lebanon, I don't think I knew any venues, so I I was never like, oh my god, I need to play there. And I don't think I'll ever will ever stop playing like Wicker Park because that was just too too beautiful. Mm. Like just the stage and the sea being the back the backstage the sea. It's like I don't know how you can ever top this in Lebanon. Uh, but in Canada, I don't know. Do we have like a venue we absolutely want to play? I mean, not not really. I, I don't know. Like also also the mu- music. I guess the music. Uh, I, this may be a segue. Um, the the way music is performed and the way we've started performing it over the years has shifted. And in a sense, today we ask ourselves questions about like you know, what the future of music is going to be like with digital streaming, with, um, you know, AR being a thing, with, like, all this stuff. Like, I mean, there there are venues here we love. Like, when we were in Montreal, you know, playing Sala Rosa was, mm-hmm. when we started making rock music, was, like, a huge deal. And when we got to play Sala for the first time, it's like, oh, my God, like, a dream come true. 
Um, but today, like I, I feel like it's it's less about the venue and more about the people in it, the community that mm. you build around the shows. And you can have a sick show anywhere. It just depends on who's who's the crowd, who's the audience. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in the last few years in New York, up until the pandemic, pretty much, we I think those were the like our our best years throwing events and parties and yeah. music because we managed to like basically after after sixteen or fifteen years being in in North America, we finally found people who share the same story who who want to be in the same space to celebrate that story. And so we had, we created a party called Laylit. Um, I was that, just going to actually ask you guys, was the yeah. creation of Laylit like uh, a means for you to create the club experience that you wanted and or, or that was lacking exactly. in Montreal? Exactly. It was lacking in Montreal. It was lacking everywhere in North America. Yeah. And we were not like, we we're not the only ones doing this, of course, shout out to the other parties, but there's like a movement in New York and now in Montreal. Well, now with COVID, everything's dead or on pause but it was really the first time we noticed oh my god like we have there's a crowd that's here that's here because we're all celebrating uh that same thing whereas like for many many years performing music here as wake island or before that as intensive care there was always always like a um a separation between us and the crowd because we were playing and we, you know, we toured a lot in North America. We played like fucking Columbus, Ohio. We played Cleveland. We played like mm. in Pennsylvania. We played in small towns. We played in fucking, uh, Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. Like, <laughs> there you have it. Like, you know, Michigan and like weird ass little towns. And it was always amazing. And we learned so much, but we never really realized that we were two Brown kids playing to people who are like, who the fuck are those aliens, you know, and mm. why are they here and why are they playing this type of music? Um, and it's... And two brown kids trying to kind of pass for whites. Whoa. To seduce and all just, you know, like it was the game of rock. Yeah, we know? were not like actively yeah. trying to pass as anything, but like we were singing songs in English to a crowd that we thought, hey, music is universal, you know, but then you realize that in terms of like... It isn't, you know, it is and it isn't. And in a way, like, it's... The music is, but the music yeah, business and but the music yeah, that's logistics it. of music are definitely not... Yeah, and it, it re we really had to take the matters into our hands uh, and literally be like, okay, we want to build our own space. We want to build our own community. We want to have this space where we can play fucking uh, you know Elias Rahbani and people would be like yeah that's sick or like or a, you know <laughs> you know like play that track and like right. people you know start raving in, in and now we can club. play Blue Pfeiffer's track yeah exactly oh, that that's gonna be a good one you know so like things like this um, is where we noticed that it's less about the venue and more really about the to bring it back to your question more about the the community filling up that the humans yeah. filling up that venue, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, if everyone's yeah. coming in with a like, you know, um, knowing what to expect, right? Managing people's expectations, creating a vibe, a thing like it's it's clear cut, you know. That's one of the hardest things to do, right? If if you know to get people in to your show is like you know the sound of the band itself. The you know the, the that whole thing, but I mean, when you make it a party, like you guys were saying, you know, it's like 
yeah, I can see how that's something that people would be like, Oh, I'm down to see that. I'd rather much rather attend a party than to watch a performance, so to speak, you know? But in, in many ways we, we we kind of cheated a little bit with with that because when we started Layla, people were assuming that they were going to go and that it was going to be like Haifa Wahde and all this kind of music. Right. And so we kind of lured people at the party. In the early parties, there was a bigger proportion of like pop music and because Dep-K we wanted to have Depke and stuff like that. So we wanted to like lure people in in a gentle way. But then as the party progressed, it became much more like you would never know what to expect musically. And that was our mission. Uh, there's the two of us and there's a third the DJ called Safi, who's a Syrian. Like he knows everything about like Arabic music. And we l- the reason we started Laylat is because we realized that we don't know much about music from the Middle East and North Africa. And we wanted to like know more. And we're like, what a better way than to just actually start a party so that every time you have to prepare a set, we would research a little bit. And then people started coming and then you come in expecting like belly dancing because the audience is really split in half. It's like half of like Arabs and the other half is non-Arabs. And and that's so important to us. Sure. It's for, for everyone to be able to come. This is not a party only for Arabs to just feel like in sort, sort of like cultural safe space. FUBU, bro. FUBU. Okay. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So people come in, like a lot of people came in that are non-Arabs expecting like your typical belly dancers. Where are the dance. belly dancers? Yeah. Where, where are the belly dancers? Where's my harem? And then they're like, shit, look at, listen to this. There's like funk music and techno and disco. Yeah. And they're like, whoa. And then people just kept coming. We had to change venues three times in a year because it was growing. Yeah. And we would play like tracks that people exactly aren't expecting, you know, like we yeah. play our friends' music, like, uh, you know, Etienne, for instance, who released a really sick uh, techno track. Shout out to my former roommate, Etienne. <laughs> okay, you know, really, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, you live with me. Take an experience to live with him. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually kind of funny because you know he'd be making productions and I would judge the like the progression. I'd be like, no, 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 stop that immediately, <laughs> you know. And he'd be like, fuck you, dude, I like it. And I'm like, no, nah, you don't know what you're talking about, you know. You know? <laughs> uh, it's it's cool. I mean, that's that's kind of the idea. And then we 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 got to a place where we started. Actually, that was 2020's plan. But to open up the party and make it also have performative uh, elements to it, uh, be it by ourselves or other fellow artists, sometimes drag queens, sometimes... Uh, and we had a whole thing Yeah, we had up. the whole yeah. thing lined up. We had All like that. bookings, uh, trying to bridge, actually trying to create like a like a, uh, a circuit, you know? You know how like there's a clear cut Europe, North America circuit with all the booking agents who have a hold on the entire industry. The idea is to bring in like... Palestinian bands, uh, Egyptian bands, Lebanese bands, and try to make like a circuit around. And we 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 kind of were building that. Like this is something we're very interested in. But that's something um, that is really our like Nadim and I as a as as a group, Wake uh, Island Laylit, and everything that we do. Our long-term vision, exclusively on on your podcast. Our, oh, our, oh, oh. Our, <laughs> no, but really, like everything we do is we're trying to get to a place where it's not like we're not doing it necessarily because we want like to make it as a band or make it as a party. We're just trying to use these avenues, like being in a band, being in a party to develop a network and to link up that network from city to city. So that when 
uh, our friends or, or non-friends from Lebanon or from Egypt or from Morocco or whatever want to tour, that there's like a, that they find an audience because oftentimes, and we've experienced it when we go tour in other countries, uh, you just tour the regular circuit and it's not really your audience and the venues are empty and the promoters don't care. So if you do a, if you like, we need to have a network of, of like people who are interested in hearing this and, and get away from this idea of like world music. So oh my God. Like, if you're not from like Europe, then you're world music. And so you go on the world music circuit. Yeah. We want to try to refine that into like, okay, so if you're a Lebanese band, we have the circuit for you. And the circuit is not just the Lebanese diaspora. And also watching, for example, bands like Meshalela evolved in North America. It's an interesting progression because at first when they came, it was all diaspora. And then progressively, right. they started attracting non-diaspora members. And Well, they're a spectacle. So that, they're a fucking, they are a fucking spectacle. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of and their performance, in terms of Hamid's vocals, in terms of everything. Like, bro, they have done a very, very good job. You know what I mean? Love, love, love the, the, the guys. Um, it's kind of tough the the amount of bullshit that the Middle East has put them fucking through. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you'd think that get with the times, bro. Like get with the times. Maybe yeah. you know, be a little bit more diverse. Maybe be a little bit more open. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe it's 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 a tough razor's edge, right? Where you're like, I don't know, man. I, it's great to have people pushing boundaries like that. Blue Pfeiffer. You guys, fucking, you know, um, Mashua Leila and and more and more people becoming more defiant, more uh, what do you call it, dissent, more, you know what I mean? Not yeah. pandering to. It's a, it's a disruption, right? The way I see it, you know. But there's many ways to be disruptive, and and we, Nad and I, were very clear from the beginning that in order to do uh, to do disruption properly, you have to be true to yourself. So someone like Hamid has in like that he has the defiance in his personality you know mm. so it's very natural that he expresses it in a def like, musically in a defiant way that is going to be very outspoken about things very like vocal literally about it uh on our end we 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 are much more uh we're thinkers like we think a lot and we take our time that's our personality so our, our disruption and defiance comes really very much as a long, like we see it as a long-term vision, uh, slow burnings, a lot of compromise, um, but not too much, you know, like compromise is important because we believe in being the place between Mashra Leila and the conservatives, if you want. So we have, we have, we all share the same ideas, but we need to like communicate them to part to some people who are not going to listen to like the very defiant people. So I think everyone has their role to play and I'm very uh, happy to, to be somewhat a part of, of this movement. Uh, but it's, uh, it's not in, uh, for example, for me, it's not in my genes to just go out and be like an activist. This is really not something that I'd feel comfortable with. So the other ways that I find is to be sometimes just being sweet is like activism you know yeah especially these days i find that like just being a little gentle a little forgiving a little nice is something that i feel very like inclined to do and every time i do it i feel something coming back even if it's someone i really have like arguments with or like complete disconnect with 
I feel like tenderness and kindness is like it's a language of of dissent also, and that's Acceptance, something I think man, I'm, I'm feeling. Keeping the world dialogue open, communicating with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know. It, this is yeah. That in itself is a whole hairy conversation that gets into, you know, outrage culture and like, you know, people can cancel culture and, and just anything that doesn't go with what we think and, and just people getting like riled up. Right. Um, yeah. Understandably. So there's some crazy shit that should be maybe fucking maybe like uh, rethink what's what's going on. But. I don't know. Right. The at the very least, think of what's yeah, going on <laughs> before exactly. rethinking. But, you know, without Phil, without going into a dark place again, uh, my dude. <laughs> um, I can deal with darkness. Yeah, very yeah, well. yeah. Well, well okay. I mean, you must be. You, you've had, I mean, you know, there's, that's a whole nother aspect of your character, um, you know, in your identity, you know, I mean, part of your music and, and a part of your, your message about coming out, the, the whole LGBTQ uh, vibe and everything, the message that you guys are putting out, you know, um, it's, it's brave and, you know, fucking chapeau bas and, and all that kind of stuff, man. I, I know that you're not one to cower down in, in tough situations, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you're not going to be an asshole about it, you know? No, so, that I can't, I can't be an asshole about it because also I know how, like to me, the LGBT issue is no different from any other issue uh, where people feel alienated or oppressed or in any way. So I don't think there's like a monopoly of, of misery because you're LGBT or because you're black or because I think that every all these sources of oppression are legitimate and they're even legitimate if you're a white, blonde American. There's other ways that you can be oppressed that have nothing to do with your sexual orientation or color of your skin. So it's about understanding your own experience and, and also like get to this place of understanding that no one, at least the overwhelming majority of people, no one has it just full on easy. And, and realizing that some people have it way harder and some people have it way easier, yeah. but to be able to nuance when you, when you address an audience, especially when you do pop music, you know, it's like you have to be ready to address multiple facets of society, not just one. And going back to like cancel culture and everything, I think it's on one hand, it's very important to have that movement uh because it's inspiring it keeps people in check people. it keeps people in check yeah, it keeps people in check exactly but and we've experienced that very very strongly because we spent the last five years in new york mostly and it's very very strong in new york this the, this movement can't do wrong and it's you can't do wrong uh but the thing is uh, we I've been very annoyed sometimes by the movement but at the same time I see results like results do end up coming sometimes i just wish they came in another way yeah and, and i also see what what i feel like the movement as well i don't want to generalize but there's also like as results come there's also new problems that are created and that's what my main concern is is that these problems are not being addressed and they're rotting little by little and they're going to be like really problematic in a few years when when the new conflicts that were created by the movement start becoming a problem so you solve you solve you solve a conflict by creating a new one. Whack it's like an externality of the whole thing, and it's, it's like whack-a-mole. You know, mm -hmm. you're hitting things mm -hmm. here and there. 
uh, escapism. Let, I mean, that's uh, one of the reasons why I got the fuck out of Lebanon, for example. A lot of the times, you know, everyone needs an outlet to kind of fish and and mm-hmm. kind of relax and 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 you know be all you can be. You know, um, the ability to go to Bardo or back in the day when PC was a fucking. If you guys did, you guys ever go to the PC parties or hear about PC parties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The PC parties were really. I don't really know cool. what the PC parties. They, are. they would throw them in like parking lots. What's that saying? Yeah, yeah, well, it got better. It wasn't just yeah, parking lot. It was get, it got up there. I went to them, but I, I'm I'm having a blank. I yeah, but behind the green door, around that era, see parties yeah. like they yeah, were. I remember the, the early cotton candy parties. Cotton yeah, candy, holy shit, myself. dude! Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my <laughs> good god! Some of those parties were yeah, pushing. They were, they were pretty pretty pushing the uh, pushing the envelope, even for for Lebanon. Sometimes you're like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, rooftop of plum. There was like, you know, ah, lovely stuff. Um, yeah, there was like that's a the thing with Lebanon. If I knew honestly, like when I grew up there and even into my 20s, if only I knew that this existed, I don't know if I would have left. Eh, if you know, you know, you know, if you don't know, go fuck yourself. You know, what I mean? <laughs> that like... kind of sucks, you know, <laughs> that I could have thought that maybe I could have stayed in Lebanon. Like when I grew up, I was so isolated from Beirut in some ways. Because I lived in Hazmiya. <laughs> Shout out like to Quadrangle. What's good? Yeah, Playing man, pool at fucking Quadrangle. Quadra- you know what I mean? Quadrangle is still going, man. I was there. I had dinner there like the uh, yeah. beginning of the year. I think Malik from uh, Who Killed is now. Malik is Allah. Yeah. I saw him. He was playing that night. Yeah. He plays with his dad. Exactly. And like, it's, there, it's cool. coming up. There, He's on to some good good things with that place. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. That was a fun I really little, like this place. Yeah, I mean, they had a legit setup. You, you could just show up, you know. Of course, there was like what I call the dinosaurs of the scene, uh, you know, like the the OGs of the scene who would go there and, and they would play and you'd be like, wow, that's a real fucking band, you know. And, yeah. and then be like, we got to go and practice because these fucking old guys are really good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like, so, you know, escapism is a big part of Lebanon and... You know, in, in some ways now people don't have that outlet and we don't know when we're going to have that back. How do you guys escape or like, you know, cut loose? Do you guys, are you outdoorsy? Like, how do you guys deal with all this shit? At, at the moment, you mean? Yeah. Like COVID times? Well, honestly, we're, um, I mean, the way things have, have shaped up for us this year is we... Because we we were touring a lot and we were in New York a lot in the last few years, uh, we were like doing shows, building stuff. Uh, we always wanted the kind of during those years we were recording music uh, on the fly, like in apartments. Whenever we had a minute, we just like set up, make a track, and then work it. Uh, but we always wanted to have like a studio and like have a space where we can like properly create where we can produce our music and other people's music. And yeah, you guys look like you're in the studio now. Exactly. Yeah. And so what happened this year is that pandemic hit. And then, you know, I moved back. I was living in New York. I moved back to Montreal at the right time, uh, before things got really fucked up in New York. Uh, and we're like, you know what, let's look for a studio. And then we got the space that we're in right now. And we are so, so happy because it's been our outlet in a way to have a proper setup, a proper space where we can explore musical ideas, where we can, uh, you know, compose, write, produce, collaborate with other artists, do this kind of stuff. That's been really nice. 
um, it kept it it kept our heads like up whenever we felt like oh my god what's the future of music looking like we're like it doesn't matter let's just use this time now to create stay to sharp make yeah stay sharp uh, learn tools that we didn't have time to like refine over the last few years mm. so this has been nice and, and it took some time just to yeah. even come here because uh, everything was closed even music studios were like not allowed until, until June, June. Yeah. so so we had our very intense like March to June like what the fuck is happening <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, we were in Lebanon up until March, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, we like, we were in Lebanon, uh, like end of soda into beginning of COVID basically. Mm. Uh, so it was kind of like a weird time. And yeah, like when, when music studios were allowed to like function again, that's when we are like, okay, let's go, let's do these things. Uh, but I mean, it's hard. Yeah, it's strange because it does. I think this is the escapism yeah. for me. Like, just thinking of an anecdote like from yesterday i was feeling horrible like i woke up like at the verge of depression and the first thought i had was like i need to go to the studio which is not very much like me i usually like i'm depressed i'm like fuck music fuck mm. the studio fuck this shit and yesterday i'm like if i don't go it's gonna be a horrible day so now we have this space and we've been doing a lot of collaborations with other artists we also produce artists so there's one project we're on, and it's an ongoing project. It's a young Moroccan artist called uh, Mehdi Bahmad, and he's pretty cool. And and we're like doing the music, producing the music for him. But we're also doing a lot of collabs with artists. Some are not even here. Some is like just online. So that's a new. The online es escapism is a thing now. Like mm. you get to like collaborate with our friends, our musician friends. Like we write a tune, then we talk about lyrics, then they send us vocals. We put them like we do this kind of stuff. That's a lot of fun. And then we have some friends here we collaborate with. And now it's like still okay to have people over, uh, masks and all this kind of shit. But that's, I think, would be number one escapism. And yeah, but uh, when you're not uh, doing music, like how do you guys cut yeah. loose? Like what the fuck, man? You're not always just like, you know, when I'm not doing music, what I love to do is uh, <laughs> play some music. Because right. honestly, I only say this because it's the first time in my life. <laughs> like I, I, and the two of us, we're not the kind of people who are like, Oh, we're always playing music. We honestly, like, if you look at the last six years, if you count the number of times we've played music, not on tour, it's not even that much. Mm. So that's why it's sp special this time that now that the pandemic hit, it became weirdly the escapism. But I will answer your other question. <laughs> uh, fast food. Fuck yeah. Uh, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, you gotta be specific. You can't just give me, like, fast I'm, food. I'm, like, unapologetically, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a McDonald's guy. Oh, like, hell yeah. So nuggets. It's got to be nuggets. It's got to be a good old, like... McFlurry, apple pie, a little custard, a little... No, no, no. I don't do desserts. You don't do I don't the do desserts. desserts and no I don't sweet do drinks. Juice. I don't even do Coke. Instead of a Coke, I always get, like, two or three sandwiches. I'm like, instead of getting those the sugar here, I'm just going to get a Big Mac and a quarter pounder and a fish and nuggets. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and fries, of course. I mean, okay, well, here's a question. Who's got a better McDonald's, Lebanon or or Canada? No, no, it's Canada for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like some the breakfast. Stuff in Lebanon, I like, like, I like the chicken Big Mac. That's that's something. Macafta, Macarabia. Oh my god! No, but I, I mean that 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 can happen to fast food. I mean, it's a joke, but it's kind of true. You should get like McDonald's uh, to sponsor Laylit and have the Macarabia as like the the go to. <laughs> Pick. 
We, well, we've always wanted to make food at the Leilitz, but the laws don't allow us to They're have food. They're so uptight in New York. My God, it's like all the sanitary permits that you have to get. I'm like, hey, but this way, you're just hell on eight. Aren't there places in like Elder and some of the like Carnegie Hall, like housing project places or not projects, but like, yeah. you know, like some of these cool places in Bushwick or whatever that you could just be like, yo, shush, shush, shush. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's a little bit of a basement show. It's a little bit of a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but is, to get a barbecue going is another the, thing. thing, is, the thing is, at the early, early inception of the parties, we could have gotten away with this because we were doing it in like... 80 people, like 100 cap oh, yeah. spaces. Now it's like best ba- best ba- when people. We were like three, 400 people. <laughs> you can't just like fucking... No, this is what makes it special because you're like, you better come early. You better get your shit in limited quantity. Wait, you think I'm going to feed everyone? Yeah, Everyone uh, of fucking jej or something? Well, you're kidding but we did that for nine hours straight a few years ago at a festival. Oh we sat God. down and barbecued and make falafels like for eight hours. So exhausted. Yeah, it's but fun. It's a pl- such a pleasure. You, you know that feeling of, of like course, feeding making people. a barbecue for people is best, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I would hear it, about uh, this a lot. Parties. A lot, a lot, a lot of Canadian yeah. touring bands. You'd hear this. You would hear of stories of them being like, yeah, well, you know, like <sighs> we were touring and eating food is expensive. You know what I mean? So we would always cook for ourselves, but, you know, we figured out a way to add value to our shows by doing like, you know, uh, I don't know, a communal curry or something like that for everybody or a chili or some mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then it became like this like cool quirk, like, yo, we're going to go see such and such at this place and they're going to make like a real cool gumbo, bro. Like, let's fucking go. <laughs> gumbo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Uh, yeah, it's a thing we've played with. We've done a few times. Maybe like, you could do like tabak. Like, you could do like shish barak or something like that for like, <laughs> for like everybody. Try scaling that. My God. Well, now we can. We just get those two prestos and we just do it. No, but I think it's going to happen. I think like when, when we're going to go back to like events and shows, I'm pretty sure like we, we, we have a friend in New York who runs a pretty awesome venue called Elsewhere. Um, and uh, he's Lebanese, so we've we we're discussing this. We're like, mm. listen, Rami, we want to bananam in Mashewe, and he's like figuring out how to. The how to make the we had such don't, don't remind me that we had such cool plans for 2020. With yeah. hey, oh, man, man, it's cool. It's just anyway, uh, put on I've ice. Been, just put on ice. It'll happen. Yeah. You know put what I mean. Ice. The way I've been uh, dealing with this uh, pandemic is in the summer I would play basketball alone a lot. That was like a way to just. Go outside. Like you asked if we were outdoorsy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of love this sport. I played it when I was growing up in Lebanon and in New York. Like I really like picked it up again. Hekme or Nijme? I, I was I I played for Hekme. Oh shit! All right, for real. So but is like it, junior is it... junior division. I was with Karl Sarkis, who uh, who's Rassan Sarkis's kid. Oh, I don't know shit. if you know Karl. I mean, you know. Yeah, he's but... he's my teammate. He was my teammate. Um. <laughs> But, so the, yeah, the, so. the beef runs deep then, eh? Like you're up for blood, yeah. right? You're like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Honestly, it's it's the players were like, like I mean, most of them were chill, you know, they were cool. Um, <laughs> you guys have like, cool like a gang lot, signs. Lot of them were like, Fucking hit me! You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I think it's more the fans that were fucking crazy, but a lot of the players were actually pretty nice. Like Fadil Khatib was chill. 
and all those African dudes like in like in Dai and and Muhammad Asha and those guys yeah. like coming from like Senegal and Nigeria and stuff. Those guys were like playing for whoever you know, whoever right, would right. pay them. You know, this, That's wild. Like the teams were chill. It's more the fans that were fucking crazy. Um, as is the case. I just don't want to come up as the guy who's dealing with the pandemic with fast food. <laughs> so I'm going to add one more thing because this is how it, this is sounding. He's like sports uh, and fit, and I'm like. Big Macs and stuff. Okay, this happens. I'll just add that I've also found uh, one very surprising thing that helped me all summer and that I'm really craving now is biking the same circuits every day for like an hour and listening to audiobooks while doing it. Mm. So that was my thing in quarantine. And I listened to like pretty cool books. Of course, Darkness, some Margaret Atwood here, some uh, Philip Pullman, stuff like that. And that was my go-to and now i don't know what to do because it's winter i have this exercise bag at home but it's really not the same and so that you gotta put on like vr glasses man you gotta put on vr glasses and be like fucking on the bike and just you know tour france or something you know getting nausea (laughs) (laughs) that would be me I can't deal with this shit. I will put those glasses on. What, for a well, wait a minute. What about like video bag. games? Did you guys ever play video games when you were kids in Lebanon? Were you like Counter Strike? Oh my god! How could I forget? One of the major ways I dealt with the pandemic is not to play video games, but to watch people, Other people play, play video my games. childhood video games on YouTube. So I would just oh, go wow. watch these like nine, ten, fifteen hour. I used to play adventure games a lot, so all the King's Quest and Broken Swords and all these like old. School like point and click adventures and Monkey Island and all these games. Space Quest? And I just watched them. What? Space, Space Quest? Quest? Of course. Fuck yeah. Yeah, man. that was one. Now so you're talking, people, my bro. Now you're talking. You got me. <laughs> yeah. People replay those games on YouTube. I would just sit on my couch for hours watching them replay the game. And I played a couple games too, but it was mostly watching people play the games. It just like really put me in a very, very like chill mode, the kind of nostalgia. It, yeah. was, it was really, uh, I was surprised. YouTube, I never went on YouTube before the pandemic. I wasn't like a YouTube consumer. And now I'm, YouTube is like, I got the little thing on my TV. So now I can just go into YouTube and watch all these little YouTube shows and YouTube like recaps and drag race and all this stuff. Yeah. So, Do you guys yeah, think I'm, that maybe I, you could incorporate doing streaming Laylit and doing like a cooking show? incorporated into it like don't think we haven't thought about it you know what i mean like i know that it's because i mean we don't know right we don't know how long this shit could go on for and i mean you know in order to stay you know on top of it getting the eyes and ears of people and being like hey we're gonna do some streaming and we're gonna fucking hey tonight we're gonna be doing some cooking Cooking on Laylit. And tonight we're going to be making shish barak. And <laughs> Honestly, not really. Because, I mean, we're, again, I told you we're very patient people. Laylit is on. Like, we do some things from time to time. We did a couple of live streams. We, did, we do some mixes. But we're very confident that the thirst for it is not going to die because of the pandemic. So I think when it comes back, it comes back. Now, there is a voice note of Nat and I getting baked and talking about how we want to make a food show and a food podcast and a food book or whatever and it's like this hour and a half long note i have to find it i, I know I can... it's there on my computer and it's just us like completely riffing at how we're going to make an, a food album this is one of the <laughs> nicest things man about being in canada is just like yeah. i mean just like you know you, you look at this shit I, and I, you're like 
Oh my god. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How are you? So good to see you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, this is uh green crush. Okay. This is my daytime weed. And uh it helps me uh not feel lazy because I don't know about you guys. I had the worst experience, by the way, in Lebanon with smoking hash. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Really? Hey, I got Oh, I got arrested. That was one thing. But yeah. another thing was is that like um not paranoia. It was just like you don't you're rolling the dice with what you're getting, you know. I, I am very meticulous. I like to have like this is a utility this is a utility. I can use it for for good things, you know, for inspiration or to go to sleep or or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Whereas with Le when I would like get shit in Lebanon, it was just like you get what you get, man. Uh and I don't know how much is actually worth, but it's yeah. Trust me, it's worth this much. And you're like, oh. Yeah. You know. It's interesting to have it institutionalized now, and in time, trustworthy in a way. You know? In time, yeah, I think that Lebanon's gonna. I mean, they've already what they've already set the groundworks for it, right? That was one of the the big surprises is there were that they were legalizing marijuana right. and. Right. And everything like that. Yeah, but that. will we ever trust them to like it's, really it's, properly it's oversee? It's so it? corrupt, man. It's so corrupt. It's like I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, but speaking of right. which, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug my friend's book. Uh, it's a writer. She's called Lauren Wilson. She wrote. She writes a lot about cannabis, and it's really fascinating. Like she's into. She's very interested in the healing aspects of it on many fronts, uh, uh, and how it's not just a recreational drug, but it's something that can be introspective and can be like uh, helping with anxiety and help with post-traumatic disorder and all these things. And she yeah. wrote a book called Healing with CBD uh, that's pretty good. And now she's writing a book series for the Snoop Dogg's company, Mary Jane. And I, I don't smoke a lot. I, I, I haven't smoked a single time since the pandemic. Yeah, me too, by the way. Which is weird, but <laughs> I guess too, I was afraid of There's like, too much to do, you know? And you're already too plenty relaxed. So busy, you know, like wake up, make eggs, eat, sit down, watch someone play a game on YouTube, sleep. Like, where's the time for weed in there? I don't exactly. Know. You know? No, it's just that I think I was afraid of like, <laughs> if I went in, I would go in and then I would have like six months of just smoking weed. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's the fear. I'm not so sure. Well, uh, it is like, expensive. It's not exactly cheap, you know, is. unless you know some Native Americans. Like you go to like some native resort. That's what everyone here tells me. They're like, bro, don't go to this thing. You gotta go know somebody who knows somebody who gets you what you need. You know what I'm saying? So, but um, you guys have been in Montreal for like on and off for twenty years, right? Almost, yeah, almost twenty. Do you guys feel like you're becoming more Canadian than you are Lebanese in some regards? You know, like what are some what are some cultural traditions or customs? of Canada that you've taken on, like a love for hockey or well, uh, a love for Putin or I, I still not watched a single hockey game since I've been here. So no, but uh, the other thing with being in Montreal particularly is that you definitely doesn't make you feel more Canadian. It will make us feel more Quebecers, but there isn't like a very big, like, Oh, I Canada see how it's going. Vibe here. I no, see no, I'm not saying is. anything. I'm just saying that. Oh, this is I see how it is. Vibe here. <laughs> So I don't, I wouldn't say I feel more Canadian, but I definitely feel more like a Montrealer more and more. And that's also like where we're at in our lives is that we're at a half, half situation where half my life was in Lebanon, half yeah. of it was here. So I don't feel more like one or more like the other, uh, but I feel like I'm definitely not just one. I'm like this hybrid right. uh, of the two. And I really like that, honestly. Let me just say something here that might answer this question a bit. Uh, 
in a different from a different angle. I think that what happened is like 10 years ago, we started noticing that if we basically we were heading towards like a, a scary place where we were kind of disconnecting with our roots um, and a gut feeling woke up uh, inside us and made us realize that we need to connect back with the, with Lebanon. I mean, we never stopped going. Again, our whole families are there. We go once or twice a year. We we had our ear to the ground. We knew what was happening. We had our friends, you know. As, and but at the same time, we started being active in Lebanon. We played shows in Lebanon. We did stuff. Um, and 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 then Leilat is kind of an extension of this, but not just Lebanon specific, but the whole region. We've like wanted to, you know, we've toured Egypt, Morocco. Uh, we've even played in Bahrain and Dubai. Like we wanted to get closer and closer and closer to 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 the people and the culture there. To us to not forget it and become like you know too North American. Yeah, we, there um, was a risk at some. There point. was a risk yeah. at some point, and we kind of woke up and we we're like, okay, this is good. We love our North American side, and I really see it more as like a North American side than like a Canadian side mm-hmm. specifically. Because when you travel around here, you see that it's you know there are there are Canadian subtleties. Obviously, there's a lot of that that's in us, and it's hard sometimes. You don't even see it, but when you're in New York, people tell you, "Oh my God, you're so Canadian." Exactly. Like, I guess I am. Exactly. Yeah, because like I'm nice. Because like I take my time. Because like, I bet I'm you chill. when you speak French uh, to some people in, in back in Beirut, they're like, "What the fuck did you just yeah, say to me?" I know. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't have the Quebec accent, but people tell me I do, and I'm like. No, you have no idea what you're talking about. But. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it's kind of like this this balance. Um, but I, I really think it's the best way to see it is like we're we're getting the best of both worlds. It's a difficult thing to do, but to try to extract the good stuff about our culture here in Canada, in Montreal, in North America at large, uh, and but also to kind of like filter out the I'm not going to say the crappy things, but the things that are like. Sometimes, if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the other side of the story, you might take for granted here. Yeah. Whereas, like for us, having this perspective coming from outside, we're like, well, we cannot take this stuff for granted. Like these are things that we have here that have become part of our identity that we cherish every day, and uh, we try to remind people whenever they get too deep into trying to fixing a social issue here in Canada to like take a step back and remember that like the world is 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 a, is a bigger place. And that, like, you know, it's that that's the thing, I guess, that's that's that our experience helps us with is this outside perspective all the time. When we're in Lebanon, we have the Canadian perspective. Exactly. On things. Here, have, you know, so it's not so, just me. There's also one more thing that's important. No, it's not just no, you. Honestly, just this, this is it. This is I feel like that's our, our biggest strength and our biggest curse as people. And it's a lifelong challenge to kind of be at peace with with being this like half half situation. It's also kind it's, of uh, it's uneasy. It's almost to me. It's almost like the grass is always greener on the other side kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly. What I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. On bad days, on bad days, that's what it is. But yeah. we have to remember also. I mean, that first of all, like it's normal when you move to a new place to spend a considerable amount of time and energy adapting and learning. Out of respect to the place that you're going to, you have to learn what no, the deal is here place. so you can live there. I'm bringing all my customs fuck and traditions <laughs> and living in my cluster, in my little bubble, and we're going to have Mana'ish <laughs> and fuck all this bullshit around. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. But anyway. <laughs> no, but the thing is, that what, what you realize in the end is that you we're very lucky, you know, to have been able to, to move here and to live the life that is like a dream life for someone 
coming from Lebanon. So there's a sense of responsibility also because there is a power dynamic between Canada and Lebanon. It's we're not at the same level in the world and in the no, power. So Lebanon is I much, like much, 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 much older. Yeah. Yes, but but that but much much less power. So how do we reconcile this? And there power? is a responsibility for us to like represent. Yeah, because I mean the world is what it is, and like think of something like the vaccine for coronavirus, for example. Oh yeah, like we all know who's gonna well, get fucking, it. First, if, who's gonna get it last? Yeah, know? if There's... Nadim didn't drop out of biology, maybe we'd still have a fucking chance. You know what I mean? Maybe if he kept on pursuing <laughs> the the vaccine and 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 being like. By the way, did people call you doctor? But, um, I call him doctor. No, no one does. <laughs> I think it's Afwan doctor. It's old news. Marhaba. <laughs> Ahlan. <laughs> Actually, in Lebanon, that's very embarrassing because when I'm in Lebanon, you know how society is over there. Yeah. Ibn Hakim, doctor, you know, hey. like that kind of shit. And it puts me. It makes me feel really weird because I never identified, you know, as like someone who has a who has a PhD or whatever. So when I'm put on the spot in Lebanon, I just like play the game sometimes because. You know, when you're doing paperwork, it yeah. can go much, much faster. Oh, yeah, like, like, one. like you go in and you're like, Nadim. Uh, <laughs> please. Doctor, exactly. Please. So, you know, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've realized this lately because I've had to do a lot of paperwork in Lebanon. And, you know, like when you go to get your like uh, 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 healthcare card renewed here, you can basically go in fucking slippers and you're going to get, <laughs> you know, you're going to get your in the number. Mail. You're going to wait in line. In the and mail. And you're going to get in. You know, yeah, but you in Lebanon, if you go in looking like a like like you just came out of your your bed wearing your pajamas, uh, they're not going to serve you. They're not going to serve you. No. You have to go looking like a hawaja, <laughs> muhtara. <laughs> you have to shave. <laughs> you have to <laughs> <go> <laughs> and I honestly tried it once. I, I swear, I tried it once. I never, I never wore a shirt and a blazer in my life, and I tried it once. So I basically wore a blazer and Suddenly, there's an online platform for the doctors where you can just go do this. <laughs> yeah, man, you're you're curving the the whole. You're changing the 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 industry. They're just like, oh shit, what am I doing with myself? <laughs> but did, like the thing is though, is it, I, I think that if you you know if you put on the coat, do you ever did you ever put on the coat? You know, you put on the white. Uh, yeah, like when I was working in labs, I would, I would, yeah. yeah I Don't would have you feel to. like your yeah. dick get a little harder just a little bit? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like when I see someone in a white coat, I feel like there's some like lab rat. And I, Honestly, like, yeah, it's more. My dick deflates when I see yeah, that coat, but yeah. that's just me. I don't know. I mean, look, having having been a scientist and having seen the people around me, I mean, I love them to bits, every single one of them. It's It's just like. Yeah, you know, it's very nerdy. It's very, I mean, very know, nerdy shit. I'm, like I'm just joshing, you know. guys. You know me, I'm a josher. <laughs> all right? I, I love playing around, you know? Go, my what God. I like to see, though, is a, that that's what will get my dick hard, is a doctor in a suit, but no uh, no cravats. Like a little, oh, like he's, oh my chill, God. he's a doctor. Just a he's super smart, chill, relaxed he's rich, doctor. Like he's wearing the white thing, too, because he just come, saved the life, you know? But he has no cravat, and I'm like, he's Open just a chill chest. guy, you know. We go back home and we play like video games and we order <laughs> dominoes, you know. <laughs> Open your mouth and say, ah, anyway, yeah. 
My God, guys. Well, you know what? It has been, uh, if you can believe it, it's already been an hour that we've been on the show together. Time goes by like that. Um, I'd love to, you know, uh, I want to just respect your time. I know you guys were like, listen, uh, we're fucking Wake Island. Okay. We're real (laughs) important people. We have shit to do. Okay. Um, It's Black Friday. We got some shopping to do because that's when producers... It's Get Black Saturday, bro. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's Black. At this point, honestly, Black Friday next year is probably starting early October. Uh, you know, in Lebanon, I think that the Lebanese always trendsetters. In Lebanon, in Lebanon last year, Black Friday was like for like a week or two weeks. Now here in Canada, it's like Black Week for the whole month of fucking, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? So they're, they're always learning, man. And honestly, yeah. I think that in the future... A lot of like uh, finance classes and, and, you know, you were studying finance and all that yeah. shit. So like, I think that they're going to do a case study as to how the banks did what they did to the Lebanese people and how they could do it to more, you know, more countries and, and everyone kind of just be like, okay, well, I mean, if I can't, I, mean, I I guess it's okay if I don't get my money from the bank, you know, but anyway. Yeah. Maybe there's like a Black Friday weekend in, in Lebanon where you can take out as much money as you want from your account just for like one day. I'd love to see that. You know how Americans on like Boxing Day, they like no. fight for like the wedding dress. I want to see like, I want to see a situation. I mean, this is kind of like whatever. I mean, but bro, I don't, see it's fine. Like We're joking. We're joking. Gift, you know? We're just joking. Don't give us a gift. Don't be government. Like fucking you hate politically us for correct. Years, but give us this weekend, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Shout how they have to, like to, uh, they have wedding here. loans. Shout out to Bea, who's here. What up, Bea? <laughs> what up? What up? Hey, Bea. You're also, tuned into only here for the Wi-Fi. Hope you guys are having a great time. You know what I mean? It's been lovely <laughs> with these two dudes. Just, just joshing for a couple of hours. Um, yeah. But what was that hashtag? Uh, DJ talk. Cool. DJ, DJ talk. cool shit. Cool shit. DJ talk. Well, yeah, because you know exactly. I was trying to be, I was trying to be smooth, you know, and I was like, uh, you know, later on tonight, we're going to be having some one-on-one time with the boys, just going, uh, peeling back the layers, <laughs> so to speak. DJ, cool shit. Uh, yeah, you know. So anyhow, but that's a good radio voice. I, I'm yeah, thinking about it. Very good radio voice. Because it's not that it's not the radio voice that you're used to, but it's kind of like in between what you're doing now and that, and it's kind of like. Uh, you want the Canadian version? The Canadian version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, later on the show today, we're going to be having uh, some people come up down to uh, Montreal. So make sure that uh, you got your tickets. Get your tickets now on Ticketmaster.ca. You see, now you're hired at CBC. Oh That's right. <laughs> I don't know about no. that, man. I think that like I don't I no, don't have CBC a chance. You gotta be calm, you know? Yeah. You gotta be calm for the CBC. But I would love to see a show like this on CBC, <laughs> honestly. Just like uh But CBC does podcasts, uh that I could see that. Yeah, man. What do you think I'm you doing know? this for? I'm trying to uh, this is my like you know what I mean? This, this is, is a bitch. This is a grand hundred percent. Right? I'm just like, you know, fifty shows in deep. I hope I don't end up like that Giami, the guy, the former host of Q. That guy. But you know what happened to him? What? Like last I heard of him, he was doing this kind of like spirituality podcast like a few years ago. I don't know what happened there. But he came back with like a podcast about (laughs) spirituality. What are you gonna do? You know, you're doing some things, your sexual history catches up with you. You know what I mean? Like 
Yeah, anyway, it's, it's a crazy. On that note, on that note, on the note of <laughs> sexual harassment, uh, it's been a <laughs> lovely, a lovely couple of hours with the boys from Wake Island, and uh, yeah, no, for real though, guys. Uh, <laughs> do you have any um, uplifting and or like? words of advice for any people who are like, you know, trying to, you know, cut it as an electronic duo, as people who are in the music scene in these, you know, troubling times, like what, yeah. what, what kinds of uplifting words of encouragement do you have for your fellow rocker slash, um, music producer? Oof. Uh, uh, it's okay. This is maybe not encouraging, but it's not harder or easier than it's ever been. It's the same struggle and, this, the real struggle to be an artist, pandemic or not, is to just find your voice and stop caring, <laughs> which I haven't done yet that part. But you have to just stop caring about what you should be doing and just do what you want to be doing. And then if there's a way that you can make money doing it so you can sustain yourself, you shouldn't feel ashamed of doing that, whether it's like getting a second job or doing like, a jingle for an ad you know like it's important and every experience will give give you experience you know like we did a jingle for an ad like a few months ago and we learned uh, how to do like trumpet arrangements for that you know and now we do trumpet arrangements in other tracks and there's always a silver lining and i think the pandemic is very difficult but it's also a very good opportunity to learn all the skills that you don't have time to learn when you're on tour when you're worried about all this stuff and for us that's what it's been it's learning more production, even learning how to like exist on social media. We're not very good with this. We had never, we've never delved into this because we were always very pure in our artistic approach. But it's, uh, I guess, the advice is it's okay to not be pure, and you're still as valid an artist. If mm. you don't. Also, I, I I'm gonna give a little bit of advice because Phil yesterday had like a, a big collapse, and I kind of picked up the broken pieces. I did. Um, one thing that's extremely important right now is we have to be, uh, we artists have to help each other out more than ever. We have Fuck to yeah. like represent each other We're we're not competing. We're like, we're so tiny. Each and every one of us is so tiny that if we don't help each other, the, the game is increasingly, um, is incre increasingly like, uh, controlled by like, um, you know, tech companies and algorithms and all that shit and what we saw before this pandemic is for the first time ever we managed to build like as i said a space a community a thing we're all in this together we're all tiny little artists uh every single one of us people who are famous or not famous we have to be together we have we're fighting the same fight we're, we're our voices are one you know in this and and like we are a minority here in this country in this in the scene uh, whether you know we're wearing the artist hat or whether we're wearing the I'm a normal person hat doesn't matter we're all the same so I think the advice I'd give to everybody right now is try to remember that we even though it feels like we're not like we're so alone these days in the pandemic and we're so like oh my god I'm you know how are we ever gonna go back to to life we're all like together still and we have to help each other more than ever yeah. I think this is this is the this is the most important I think advice yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, Absolutely. I can. Give. I want to clarify one thing. Just reading the comments, uh, what I meant by pure uh, is that just focusing solely on making music. Uh, of course, social media is a. It's actually a great platform to 
ex expose your pure self. Uh, what I meant when I said that artists are focused on being pure is that we just wanted to make music and put it out there and not like explore other facets of how to express ourselves. So I think what, what we're trying to do now, particularly with social media, is to is to use, it's a tool, you know, like everyone uses a tool. There's people who are going to use it well, people who are going to use weird. it bad. And it's weird. It's yeah. weird. It's weird. I, I really believe that it can be it can be as as expressive and as pure as the piece of music if you if you don't like make yourself fake, you know? Like if right. you just go out there if you're and true put yourself, to yourself, it's the vulnerability thing, you know? It's also kind of because That's it's like a advice. product, right? And I mean essentially you're out there being like, you know, you know, get your fucking wake island, get your wake island today, you know, in, in some ways, right? That like uh, anytime it has to do with promo. Yeah, but so is a song, you know? So is a song. The song is a product also. So. Right. But that's what and, I mean. You're like selling day, yourself all the time. True, is being know? like, hey guys, it's Wake Island here. We're just telling you about our day today. And you know, I mean, there are some people who engage social media in a beautiful way. I don't know. I'm dumb. Uh, there are some other people who are excellent at it. But I feel like an imposter every time. I, I become so self-aware. You know what I mean? Everything. Yeah. But that's yeah. the exercise for an artist or for like anyone or uh, is that we learn as artists, we learn to be vulnerable with our like art, like with the music itself. But there's also this amazing challenge is to learn how to, how can we take this vulnerability and to other places, whether it's like at a friend's place or having coffee with someone or being on social media or uh, in our merch or in all the stuff that makes you be an artist in the modern world, which includes a significant part of business. Yeah. How can you? The question that is a question we're asking during this pandemic for ourselves is how can we do these things without feeling like we're compromising ourselves? And and the answer to this, as my advice of pandemic, is the answer is you can do it and stay true to yourself. Uh, it's just a matter of trying not to compare yourself too much to what other people are doing oh on social media. Because there is a, there is a big part of social media, and and probably the loudest part of social media is very like frivolous, and so it makes you believe that it's all like that, but it really isn't. Because now I've looked at my social media consumption, and I've found people to follow that I believe generally are being honest and true and vulnerable, and it's and I want to be one of these people. Mm. Uh, that when you log into Awake Island selling you their new EP, that it's still a moment of of like realness, you know? It's not just like me like being like a salesperson, you know? I'm still the artist, I'm just in this medium. It's not the music medium this time, I'm not in your ears, I'm on your phone, and on this phone I'm telling you, I made this song and if you want to hear it, hear it, and I can be silly sometimes because I'm silly as a person, yeah. so that feels right to me to be silly online. And to talk about doctor with no cravat, you know that's that's part of who I am. And it's uh, but it's, it's hard. It's it's a hard thing because we're we we've been stuck a little bit in our minds about this. It's like it did feel for a long time that we didn't want to play that game because it was not a game we wanted to play. And now it's we didn't want to force it. Until now, we're like, you know what? Now we feel like playing that game. The pandemic maybe pushed it because that's really almost the only platform to communicate with people at this point because we mm. can go to shows, we can go to coffee shops, we can go anywhere. So if we have this platform, it felt a bit stupid to ignore it. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to get past this fear of having a camera in front of us and all this kind of thing. Camera obscura, and, period. 
yeah and then and then eventually i think you just stretch the muscle and then you build the muscle and then by the end of the day yeah. you're just very look at you you're so comfortable and i feel like i'm hanging out with you like well that's because we feel are like you're putting up an act maybe you are but it doesn't feel oh like man it at all i'm i'm using all of my cpu power right now to hold it together you have no idea uh this this is completely <laughs> in, inauthentic it, as soon as this mic turns off i'm gonna you know strip down all the layers and become this like ah, weird Weird thing. Uh, I'm just, yeah. I'm just fooling. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so very much again. Uh, you know, we got. Hold on a second. We got Abe being and uh, saying that self promotion can be very ugly. Mokabata, you guys hang out. He's in Montreal, right? He's like he hates promoting his stuff to his friends. That's probably because your friends suck, Mo. Uh, just like mine. <laughs> um, no, but I've seen, I've seen videos of Mo online playing music and, and on sessions and everything. So it's oh, uh, playing music is one thing talking about it and being like, Hey guys, we're playing at the sh well, black sheep. Don't talk in. about it. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't think anyone needs to do any, like I keep telling that and I know he agrees. I'm not saying that he doesn't. I, I'm like, you don't need to do anything you don't want to do on social media. Yeah, this That's is, it. That's the only rule. Like if you is, don't uh, have to do anything, if you don't want to talk about your music, don't talk about your music. How are you going to get there. viral, Phil? How are you going to get viral? But it doesn't viral? matter because if I just yeah. do a live feed of myself laying on my bed naked for eight hours, people are going to go listen to the music, even if I don't mention it. Well, that's true. I mean, again, that is, that's fucking things, hot ticket right there. They're going to be like, oh my God. <laughs> the way you know, I again. see things is it's, I mean, viral or not viral, the thing is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, guys, I got a show <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, yeah. no, I'm just, I'm just joshing guys, but, no, it's, um, it's, cool. it's good, good advice. Um, you know, TikTok, true or false. Uh, doesn't feel right to us. Uh, it's, it's probably right to other people. Uh, but right? it's, I, I feel old. I feel old thinking about TikTok. Yeah. Uh, the same way I didn't want like to, no, because you have to understand like uh, generations. Like I didn't want to see my, like my mom on Facebook when I was like twenty. So mm, I don't know. TikTok thing, feels. Yeah. I don't feel. I, I don't feel like I'm. In, uh, maybe I, I will be, but right now the perception I have of TikTok is. Phil, I think you nailed it right fun. there, dude. You fucking nailed it, bro. Our parents and family and relatives are on Facebook now. Everybody and their dog is on Facebook. We're them. Well, not only that, but like our relatives. So like if we have a uh, social media presence, so that's why we kind of like, let's get away from that. Go on to Instagram mm, or, you know, I know you can make shit private or whatever, but in some, in some regards, I feel like, yeah, Facebook has died and now, you know, TikTok and, and other things, certainly Instagram, clearly brilliant, you know, um, what about like things you like didn't notice what happened in the pandemic with Facebook? I started to feel like Facebook for a long time became my favorite social media during the really? pandemic because people stopped being like, Hey, my photos. Hey, and it started being more essays. Oh, like my feed, at least it was just essays and essays. I'm like, wow, people yeah, are but just you guys hang expressing out with smart themselves people. in the way that you can't on the other. You guys know smart people. What? We got, you got to fuck, you know, you're in finance and, and, and Nadim's a fucking doctor and shit. Like obviously the people, you know, in your circles are all like, you know, high mind, consciously aware, socially active people talking about engaging stuff. You know, I got people who are like, oh man, I fucking got really drunk. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Guys. Yeah, Twitch. I was asking about Twitch. We, we, we Twitch is cool, but it's just, uh, we have to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, the Twitch it's like keeping also. up with all this oh, stuff. Shit. It's too much. It's too much. Only fans. Oh, that's my next.
next move. That's your next move, right? I think I'm going mean, to do it. That's the way to go, right? Let's promote each other's... Let's Only do, fans for music. It's free that's, to sign up, right? I have no idea. Let's fucking find out. And let's start promoting... I'll promote your channel. You promote mine. And we'll just start only fanning. Can you fanning. be a guest on one of my videos? Oh, you know, I was actually talking... Who was I talking to? One of my... I was saying, like, I could be the first Hugh Hefner of OnlyFans. And I would have this podcast, interview people, and then you would submit to me photos of your feet and, like, whatever. And, like, whoever would subscribe to the podcast, I'd be like, you know, because, like, Hugh Hefner, what? He had a magazine, right? And he was like, uh, you know, Phil's... Uh, Phil's armpits and feet and hands uh, for a limited time. You know what I mean? I, I just want to pause this and just want to check in. Do you even know it? On, on oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Just making sure. I mean, yeah. uh, come on. Uh, if you live on the internet, you know. I, I mean, depends. I'm a dinosaur, not everyone I, knows what only I'm a dinosaur, is. but I know I know what it is because we follow Mia Khalifa on, uh, oh, on Instagram. Does she have an OnlyFans? Oh, yeah, yeah, she has an OnlyFans and she is awesome. I love her. Yeah, she's her. pretty we awesome. We follow her because she's very uh, implicated in the revolution in Lebanon and we started yep. following this account. But then fucking algorithms of Instagram, now they like suggest all the, the porn stars for you to no, follow. No, but that's because I go check out all the hot guys. <laughs> if you look at the Explorer thing on, on our Instagram, yeah. it's like, so funny. It's, I'm like, it's oh hilarious. My God. It's like all like... <laughs> you guys got to be careful or you get the blue screen of death or I don't know, depending on... No, I guess well, we, now I have my own account, so I go check out the hot guys over there. There it is. And then on, on the, I, you have to train the algorithm to stop showing you hot guys because that's all I was looking at. But Gino's yeah, in the house. Speaking of Mia Khalifa... Speaking of Mia Khalifa, you know, Gino is like buddy-buddy with... Uh, with her and they, they have a healthy relationship of back and forth. I don't know. Maybe she'll come on the podcast and uh, we can talk about things and we can, yeah. we She's can go deeper. Like really cool. Yeah. We like, can go deeper into us starting OnlyFans accounts and promoting one another. Maybe we can pay her to be our consultant to do our OnlyFans. You know? I don't think she's that cool. I, I think she'd be like, I have better things to do. Hey, Gino. At least with me. Maybe Gino, with Gino. Been, Gino uh, should start an OnlyFans account. No, just oh my saying, God! That, Holy shit! Idea. Now that's an idea. Now we're talking. We're now it's Gino. I, I'm already following the, the podcast. I, I, I follow. <laughs> well, isn't Gino's life an OnlyFans at this point? Just want to say about uh, Gino that I don't know how we would have gone this year without you. Shots fired on the <laughs> only <laughs> for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> no, but yeah, uh, like this year on social media has been one of the great things. Is again following following what's going on and in lebanon for us going through gino's account seriously shout out man. yeah it's been for real man. so much because uh, it can be so much fun for you to get all this heat yeah no so uh we really appreciate it honestly like gino thanks yeah, so much man. God like, bless it's, you. Uh, it's, it's been you know it's been uh like i know stuff before it's happening there i'm talking to my mom or my sister She's like, how do you know that? I'm like, yeah, Gino's blood, social media. <laughs> also, one of the major achievements, Gino, this is what you've achieved in my life. My mom stopped watching like MTV and I would say, and she watches you for news now. Yeah. <laughs> and she calls, she's like, Gino said this and Gino said that. I'm Only, like, what? Only fans. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. She started showing armpits. And he's, stuff a, like that. <laughs> he's like a way cooler Alex Jones, you know, in many yeah. ways. Without he's the, a, you know, without all the, the bullshit about aliens and stuff. Speaking of aliens, ancient aliens, true or false? Ancient? Ancient aliens, true or false? Versus modern aliens? Are you okay? You do you have heard of ancient aliens before? Oh right? no, but I've read that word on some Netflix thing, all right? There's something about that. I don't know. Ancient aliens. It's a show. 
never saw it. To me, when you say ancient aliens, I think of Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what is that show about? Should I watch it? Oh my god. It's the best show on the fucking planet. And basically, they actually had an episode on... Um, they had an episode on Baalbek, actually. They were like... Uh, you know, uh, ancient alien astronaut theorists believe that back in the day that Baalbek was once upon a time an international airport for ancient alien astronauts. Oh, but I saw that when I went to Baalbek a couple of years ago. Yeah. There's like this circular thing that they're supposedly were landing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. True. I'm convinced. It's fucking fact. Yeah. There we have it, I ladies mean, and gentlemen. Netflix, it's true. That's my that's my rule in life. <laughs> it's case closed. Case closed. Case closed. <laughs> Here with Wake Island. Uh, you heard it first. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for tuning into this show. We had a lovely, lovely, fun, fun, fun time. We really did. You guys are awesome. Bono sera. Awesome Drive safe. Coronavirus. Thoughter times. 2020. Happy Christmas. Okay. <laughs> yeah, look, guys. Right. Take care, guys. We'll see you soon. Love you all. Thanks for tuning Bye. in. Peace out. Bye, everyone. Peace out. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That concludes our show for the day. Another one in the bag. Another one in the bag. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are becoming somewhat of a fan of the podcast or or the conversations that we're having, you know, maybe. Say something online. Maybe be like, yo, I heard about this crazy podcast. You know what I mean? There's a guy. He plays music with, uh, with you know, really cool uh, guests from, from Lebanon and, and around the world. Montreal, Canada, whatever. Suggest. Be like, hey, you should have this person on the podcast. You should have, uh, you know, uh, such and such and, and, and ask these hard, hard questions. All right? You know? And uh, remember, we're only here for the Wi-Fi. I'm sorry, 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 I'